getting out of control here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Put your thumb there and turn back a page to chapter 12. As you're turning there, we've had a busy, it's not over yet, busy couple of weeks or so with our services, our small groups and all that's been going on with that. We had Vacation Bible School Hosanna night on Friday night and we had seven kids receive the Lord Jesus Christ and it was a blessing to see and there was many more that raised their hands, but seven went back and uh, talked to Martin and, uh, and, you know, for further instruction and all. And that was a blessing because as far as I know, we've never really led anybody to the Lord. We've been doing, uh, wait till I finish, we have led people to the Lord, but people to the Lord on Hosanna night. We've been doing Hosanna night for 15 years, and so we changed the format to Vacation Bible School, and seven lives were altered, and so it's, it's just a blessing. Um, we have our service tonight, and then Tuesday we have elections. We are going to be a polling place. Uh, we've been a polling place for at least 10 or 12 years, something like that. This year they, de- they delivered 19 um, uh, ballot, not ballot boxes, but uh, voting booths. Um, they said we should get about 75 people an hour. So I don't know if they're condensing from other places into this place, but we should be pretty busy uh, all day Tuesday. And so it's just a blessing to be busy. It's a good thing. Well, on Sunday nights, we've been going through elements of theology, something that I've really enjoyed teaching. And we've been into this concept of spiritual gifting, and we looked at the ones that were listed in chapter 12. And the verse that we've been keying off is the first verse. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And again, we've got to consider the things that the Bible tells us to not be ignorant in, because as we are ignorant, we are doing damage to our walks. Not salvation, but just we're not fulfilling all that we're able to fulfill. And the Bible's very clear. We just read it here. Do not be ignorant when it comes to your spiritual giftings, because that's how the Holy Spirit empowers you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We're told not to be ignorant of Israel's place and God's dealing with Israel, and we ought not to be because that's one of the big signs that we need to be looking at is Israel and what's going on in Israel. And Israel, we know, is going to be the center of end times, and so Israel is very important. Do not be ignorant of end times. A lot of people don't understand end times and the rapture, and when the rapture happens, the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, and how all that fits together. And the Apostle Paul told us in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to not be ignorant of that. We're not to be ignorant of the place of trials in our lives because that can really well, could cause us to become disheartened. As we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we have these hard things enter into our lives. We could become confused about that, but we're told not to be ignorant of the fiery trials that are about to enter into our lives, and we will all go through trials. Well, the Bible doesn't say this specifically. Well, I guess it does under the heading of chapter 12, verse 1. But when it comes to the gifting of tongues, go ahead and turn over to chapter 14 if you, uh, if you were at chapter 12. The gifting of tongues, the major- it's why I de- devoted one service to the gifting of tongues rather than just including it in everything else. I had it in my notes last week, but I decided not to just run through it to look at it pretty closely because there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the gifting of tongues. 
if you look at it properly, it seems kind of silly to even devote a whole evening to it because not everybody is going, as we'll see, gifted with the gift of tongues. But again, there's just been such abuse done in this area. I remember somebody told me that they didn't come to our night of praise and worship because they were afraid that somebody was going to speak in tongues. What's to be afraid of? Now, again, you know, if you're worried about something being done out of order, well then, yeah, I can see that and I would take control of that. But, you know, if you ever have the opportunity, if you're not so gifted, but to hear somebody speak in tongues, there's just nothing wrong with it and there's nothing to be afraid of. I've never heard of anybody hurt by the practice, but nonetheless, it has been taken to such a degree in some other places that, well, there is that element of fear. So, in Paul's presentation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and their proper application, he inserted chapter 13 as almost a parenthetical thought. Chapter 13 is that great love chapter. Now in chapter 12, the chapter before that, he talked about various giftings of the Spirit. And again, that's the text that we use the last couple of weeks to look at spiritual gifting. But he finished chapter 12, verse 31, with, well, it it doesn't read this way, but it is presented as a problem. He says, but you earnestly desire, or the intent is you're envious of the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And so the, the church at Corinth was a very carnal church. He had to spell out the Lord's Supper because they had taken it as an opportunity for gluttony rather than an opportunity for worshiping the Lord and being obedient to His call around this this most holy of of tables. And now even spiritual gifting, they've got that a little bit out of whack as well. They're, They're desiring to build themselves up rather than edifying one another through the exercising of their spiritual gifts. That's why he spoke of that more excellent way in chapter 13. That's why you can look at chapter 12 and chapter 14. They speak of spiritual giftings. But chapter 13, that love chapter, is placed there in the middle so that we would exercise our gifting properly we would do so in a spirit of love so that the body of Christ is the better off for it. Not necessarily me. I'm not exalting myself. I'm exalting Jesus Christ and encouraging my fellow believers. We found that most excellent way is essential within the body of Christ because although you may be exercising your gifting, if you're doing it without love, you are of absolutely no use to the Lord. You become that clanging symbol, something that is bothersome in the place of worship. So, if spiritual gifting is how you are seen as being in God, love is how God is seen in being in you. So these things I must do with love. So if I've been gifted as a prophecy, I've given a word of knowledge, if I have a gift of administration, the gift of helps, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues. And again, you can just go down the list. I've got to exercise those gifts in a spirit of love. This morning's service, we talked about sacrificial love in the marriage, how much more so or just equally so is sacrificial love essential in the body of Christ in the body of Christ where we have people that we the two have not necessarily become one and we've got a lot of differences and the differences really are for the better, but nonetheless, I need to be doing these things in a spirit of love. And so, 
as our desire is to bring people into the throne room of God, as we gather together, love will be that which unlocks the door. And again, through a spirit of love, last Friday night we had a group of people here doing the work of ministry, and then we saw the fruit of ministry in those people who gave their heart to the Lord. People exercising their gifting. There was the people over there that were in hospitality. They were exercising their gifting, and it all worked towards that there were people that were doing cleanup there was people here the day after doing cleanup all working towards that the gift of teaching the gift of administration as they were putting it all together as all of those giftings came together it resulted in the fruit of ministry and it was a blessing so the problem at the church of corinth instead of the gifts being used to attract the attention to god they were used to attract attention to selves people were trying to be prominent within that body The only gift intended to edify oneself was being blown completely out of portion in its use, tongues. And the improper use of tongues, it definitely does that. It's the look at me gift when done improperly. Somebody stands up in the middle of service and starts speaking in tongues and they've kind of got that idea of look at that person, they must be spiritual, or look at me, how spiritual I am. Well, that's a complete improper use of the gift of tongues. But here at the Church of Corinth, and we, there are some denominations that do that today. Uh, I was just talking to somebody. Yeah, when I went to this particular church, it was you know, going on. It was prominent in all services. It has become in Corinth the, the gift of choice. It was being used out of order, and everybody was coming together and speaking at once. It wasn't just one person, although it probably started with one person, and then, well, if that person's going to be observed as being super spiritual, then I will do it, and then I will do it, and all of a sudden it got out of control. I never went to Vineyard during the laughing in the spirit movement, There was a movement that instead of standing... See, it it always goes to extremes. And Vineyard was... John Wimber, who was the leader of the Vineyard movement, he was the Chuck Smith of the Vineyard movement, if you will. He used to be a staff minister at Pastor Chuck's church. And he was got together with some other guys and said, well, the giftings of the Spirit aren't really being exercised here. Usually when people say that, they mean tongues. And so he started the vineyard movement, which was going to be more free in the exercising of the giftings. And they started out, you know, in the middle of service, speaking in tongues. And then it always goes to ridiculous proportions. It came to the place where people were laughing in the Spirit. I I've seen some of it on TV. The, the pastor would just start laughing. He would be priming the pump. And then somebody else would... And, and, and then the whole church would be laughing. I mean, people would be rolling on the floor laughing. Now tell me... I mean, you're laughing right now. <laughs> but you're laughing because of how ridiculous it is. Because where is God glorified in that? Well, obviously He's not. But it didn't just stop there. Then it kind of went to the next thing, and I don't know how you can consider this to be the next thing, but ridiculous in proportion. People were barking in the Spirit. They were making animal noises in the Spirit. And this was something that was going on throughout the whole nation. Now, anytime you see a human being acting like an animal in the Bible, it's a curse. It's not a good thing. There's no precedence to this. But people were barking in the Spirit. They were clucking in the Spirit, and I'm just assuming they were mooing in the Spirit and everything else. And again, you laugh because it's just so ridiculous, but they were doing this. And 
I remember watching some of it on 2020. They snuck, a, maybe 60 Minutes, whatever it was, they snuck a camera inside. And you just, the world looks at this and think, that's the church? That's the church? And just see what damage it does as they are so out of order. Well, Paul's going to use the gift of prophecy versus the gift of tongues to make his point. If you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I'll read verses 1 through 6. It says, pursue love. So he's just hammering home what he had just been previously talked about, talking about in chapter 13. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues. So Paul's saying this is not a bad thing, but even more, more importantly, that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? And so again, it's through this gift of prophecy that the church is going to build up, but not the gift of tongues. The best gift that will edify the church is prophecy with the least tongues, is what he just spoken of here. Now, prophecy are God's words spoken to a congregation. It's God's words spoken to a congregation, and in it exists a high degree of accountability. And so, if there's prophecy, and there's those who have made the case that when somebody is given an, an expository teaching from the Word of God, that that would fit under prophecy, I'm not so sure if it would or not, but I can see their line of reasoning, but we can use that as an example if you'd like, speaking the Word of God and teaching the Word of God. There's a high degree of accountability because you got a Bible on your lap. And if I'm speaking something contrary to the Scriptures, and with all the teachings that are out there and the Bible studies that you sat under, you should be able to know if there's something wrong. Every once in a while, I get somebody asking for clarification on something that I said. And that's a good thing. It keeps us accountable. I at least know that people are listening anyway. Now, gift of tongues are words spoken to God. Prophecy, God's words spoken to man. Tongues, man's words spoken to God. There's no accountability, very little accountability. If it's in a group setting, there needs to be an interpretation. But other than that, you can pretty much, you know, if you're going to speak in tongues, an unknown language, how do people really know what is being said there? We, the church, have a responsibility, again, to understand tongues in the place of worship. So again, Paul says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you prophesy. When seeking to minister to others, it's all about the Word of God. It's the Word of God that is that sharp, two-edged sword. It's the Word of God that Paul said to preach because it's that which is going to be convinced. It's that which is going to, to, to teach and train that person to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that obviously would be the best gift because the prophecy, the speaking of God's Word, is that which sees people saved and grows them in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, to refresh your memory, prophecy is simply to speak forth or to proclaim the Word of God. 
back during the day when the New Testament was being written. You would have these churches that went throughout the whole Mediterranean area. They wouldn't necessarily have the written word of God, so they would more than likely have a prophet. And we see that there were prophets in the book of Acts. And it was for that reason that people would be able to get understanding of the word of God from this prophet that was gifted through the Holy Spirit. But as far as the office of prophecy today, why do we need a prophet? Why would we need a prophet? Now, there's still prophecies. I understand that. I don't know if there's anybody alive today, at least in, we'll say, America, and I'll expand on that in just a minute, who would be called a prophet because we've got the Bible. High degree of accountability because if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then that person's not prophesying. Now, would there still be an office of prophet? I believe that there would back in the place where the Word of God does not exist. You know, we're always worried about, again, the natives out in the middle of the jungle. Well, I think that there could be a prophet there that speaks the Word of God because God wants His Word to go out. But in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-2, through 2, it says, God, who at various times and various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And so we have the word of God given by the word who is God. And so we have that for the purpose of ministry. When God wanted to speak to a church, he does so through his word. Verse 2, For he who speaks in tongue, a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however in the spirit he speaks mysteries. And so that is the key to understanding the proper usage of tongues. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And so prophecy is God using a man to speak to fellow men. Tongues is man speaking to God. I've had somebody somebody in the church that says, well, when I get together with this other person, I give this the speaking in tongues and then they translate it. Is this God using this other person and myself to speak to this church? Because I really believe that God is using us and he's giving us this message for the church. And I told this person, no, it's not because God does not speak to the church through tongues. Tongues are a way and we'll get into exactly what it is in just a real little bit. But tongues is man speaking to God. It's man worshiping God. It's man giving God the glory. The gift of tongues is the gift of speaking fluently in an unknown language. Now, if you would hear my wife praying in German, you would think she's got the gift of tongues. But she doesn't have the gift of tongues because my wife fluently speaks German. She was born in Germany. I don't know if everybody knows that, but she... You won't need ever need an interpretation in German. She's the person to come to. But that would not be the gift of tongues because it is a known, learned language to her, to the speaker. It's the ability to worship God through praise in a language that you have not naturally learned. And so the first instance of tongues that we see is in Acts chapter 2. There were all of these people in this room and they were speaking in tongues. And these people were hearing them speak in tongues because it was a time when there was people from all over the area in town and they were hearing this, but they were hearing it in their own language. And so why would God do that? Well, we had all of these people, they were praising the Lord and people that were passing by heard this and they weren't expecting it, but they they heard it in their own language and it's all listed there. 
And so that would cause them to enter in and to wonder what is going on, and God would use that. He would use that to minister, and we see that the church was built very rapidly. It is also a spiritual language. It is a language that is known, not learned by the speaker, but is a known language. For instance, if I started speaking in German, I have no clue about Germany or German language, but if I started speaking it, that would be the Holy Spirit because I do not have a clue. I often wonder what my mother-in-law and my wife are talking about when they're talking, and I hear Mike, and I hear a lot of laughing in the German, so I don't know. Sometimes I wish I had the gift of interpretation. <clears throat> but it can be a spiritual language. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And so the context here is going to be trials. It's going to be times of suffering. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. So he's speaking about just sin effect upon the world, upon creation, even upon the believer. We're waiting for that time. And we groan because there's just this burden, this effect that sin has had upon humanity, sin that we see in the loved ones, and even the sin as it affects ourselves. For we were saved in this hope, <clears throat> but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So we're waiting for that time when the Lord comes and takes us unto Himself. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know how we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so... It's, there's this spiritual language, or Paul would call it this language of angels. I've never really considered myself to have the gift of tongues, but I do believe that I possibly have prayed in tongues. I mean, there's just those times when you, you want to make that closer connection with God, a real intimate time with God, and you don't really even know how to pray. Or maybe it's for somebody and you know, you need to pray for Aunt Mildred because she's sick and all of this. Well, is Aunt Mildred even saved? And well, no, she needs to know the Lord. And, and all of a sudden, the, not, the need to know the Lord takes precedence even over the need to be healed here. And, and sometimes you're just not sure exactly how to pray for people. And it's just those times that I've experienced God, there's just a clearing of my mind. There, there's, I, I can't tell you the words that are being spoken of, but there's just this praying with a clearing of my mind and it just feels like there's just that direct connection with the Lord and it's not something that I've ever decided okay I need to do this and I need to do it this way it's not something that I can instruct you I've heard people say when it comes time to 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 speak in tongues whenever the time to speak in tongues is that you've got to prime the pump and that but that's kind of forcing something to happen and we don't force the hand of God this is just that heavenly language when you don't really know how to pray that you just give it over to the lord 
and you come to an agreement with the Lord that, Father, just your will be done. And the, the, probably the other than the closeness to the Lord is just a subjection to the Lord during this time. You're just subjecting your will to whatever God's will. You're offering the prayers, but you're asking God to be the leader and director of your prayers. Now, if the speaking of tongues is done in a group, and we'll look at that just a little bit more in depth, but if it is spoken of in a group, and there are other restrictions, but there needs to be an interpreter. You can't just have somebody stand up and start rattling something off. And I've been in a group once where somebody did stand up and speak in tongues, and the person at the stage asked, is there an interpretation? And nobody stood up to interpret, so he asked the person to sit down, that although maybe you thought that was of the Lord, that was not of the Lord, or somebody does have the gift of interpretation, is not standing up, so he just basically, very kindly, with a lot of finesse, just put a stop to it, and the person agreed, and he sat down and just went on with what was going on at that time. If it is by myself, you just have the knowledge that you are praising God more deeply than you can express. The problem at the church at Corinth, all of their spiritual services were built around the speaking of tongues. Would you even want to go to a place like that? What happens if four of you stood up right now and started speaking in tongues? I'll tell you what, we'd kick you out. No. If, you know, just, but just think of how out of order that would be. You know, what did you learn at service today? Well, I don't know. I couldn't hear him. Everybody else was speaking out of order and it just got to be this ridiculous mess that was going on in the midst of service. Well, these people all believed that they were speaking to God, but this had become, this speaking out of order in the church had become the focal point of this church where the teaching of God's Word was not happening. Now again, if the teaching of God's Word isn't happening, then people aren't growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. People aren't being saved. And the fulfillment of what the Holy Spirit desires to do in and through that church is not being accomplished because it's the flesh. When it says, no one understands, this tells me that the improper use of tongues, and I wouldn't even say the gift of tongues because it was just tongues, that, well, God doesn't know what you're saying. And then if God doesn't know what you're saying, then man does not know what you were saying. And so again, there was this mess, and you can imagine somebody new coming to church, they would come in there, what in the world is going on here? And it would probably be the last time that they, they came to that church. I remember when we lived in La Habra, we had a church that was just down at the end of our street. And my wife told me, this was before we were saved, I think those are people that speak in tongues. And I go, what do you mean? Because I never heard of that before. Well, what do you mean speaking in tongues? Well, they just kind of stand up and just say words. And I'm just thinking, I'll never go in there. You know, it's just, it's just kind of a scary thing when you think about it. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, and again, can't, just can't say this enough, does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now, this is the only gift that we're told that you edify yourself, so this isn't necessarily a bad thing if you are doing it in order. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. It's a spiritual gift, so there's nothing wrong with it. But even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the whole church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues... 
What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, that would be a prophecy, or knowledge, or prophesying, or by teaching? So, the importance of tongues in the body of Christ. Obviously, it has its place. God has its desire. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, we get a little bit of an idea of what God's perspective of the importance of tongues is. It says, and God has appointed these in the church first. Now, obviously, he's making a list here. And first, most important, are apostles. Why? Because they're delivering the word of God. Secondly, would make sense, prophets. Third, teachers, so you understand the prophecies. After that, miracles. Then gift of healings, helps, administrations. And last on this little list is a variety of tongues. Because, again, everything else is going to build up the church and build up the people within the church. And then tongues he kind of puts at the end. And so there's a lot of churches, a lot of denominations who have that a little bit out of whack. Because they'll, I remember telling somebody that I got saved. And they said, oh, well, have you spoken with tongues? And I told them no. And they questioned my salvation. And that was fine if they wanted to question my salvation. But I know the Bible doesn't question my salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, love never fails. But whether they are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And so he's speaking of the, the supremacy of, of love here because at some time, tongues is going to cease. Now, there are some people that say there was a cessation of certain gifts way back at the day in the first century, the time of the first church. John MacArthur is a proponent of that. But when it says it'll c- cease, I think it... It, it, it relates over, chapter 13 kind of gives clarity on that. I'm sorry, verse 13 in chapter 13 gives clarity on that. In verse 13 it says, And now abide in faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so what he's doing is, through that statement, and I believe through the statement in verse 8, about, as far as the cessation of tongues, he's relating that to the time when we're going to be in heaven. Because that's the only time when faith and hope will no longer be around. Love is greater because at some point when we're in the presence of the Lord, faith is no longer necessary. There he is. We walk by sight. Hope is not necessary because what is our hope? Trusting in God for our future? When you're in heaven, your future is eternal. But love is going to continue on because we'll be in the presence of love. We'll be encompassed by love for the rest of our life. And so, again, verse 8, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail because it's going to be a point when it's no longer necessary. You can just ask Jesus yourself, Whether there are tongues, they will cease. And so I think what he's doing here is he's taking the best gift, the first gift, the highest of gifts, and he's taking the lowest of gifts, and he's encompassing everything that's in between. And so there's going to be a time when they're not necessary. Now, if everybody's salvation was built upon this, I think it would be a little bit different. But my salvation is built upon the love of God, the love that God had for me, that he would die for me upon the cross. And so when people give an improper priority when it comes to tongues, Well, they have an improper perspective of the Word of God and what the Word of God says. Which brings us to the next thing. Are tongues necessary for salvation? Well, I think I just refuted that, but there's even another verse that is a little bit stronger. It's after verse 28, verses 29 and 30. Are all apostles? And so he's going through just a short list of of gifts here. Now, if you recall, when a question is asked in the Scripture the answer is almost always to the negative, and I think you can agree with me, the answer, if you would answer each one of these questions as they were asked, the answer would go to the negative. Are all apostles? Well, no, 
He's speaking of the office apostle. There's only 12 of them. And so, no, there's not all apostles. You can take Matthias and Paul and say, okay, 13, whatever. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. But I don't need to be a teacher to be saved. I don't need, a, I don't need to be a prophet to be saved. I don't need to be an apostle to be saved. Are all workers of miracles? No. But I don't have to be a worker of miracles to be saved. Do all have gifts of healings? No. But I don't have to have a gift of healing to be saved. Do all speak with tongues? Well, it only go to pass that, no. Not everybody in the body of Christ speaks with tongues. And so it would only come to pass that you don't need to speak in tongues to be saved. Next time somebody tells you you need to be saved or it's an outward expression of your salvation, you can lead them to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 29 through 30 and show them that. Because here Paul says not everybody in the body of Christ speaks with tongues, nor do they interpret tongues. And so I will have, if I am saved, I will have some sort of spiritual gifting. And for me personally, I need to hold that dear that that's the evidence of God in my life. I remember my wife told me that every time she sees me at the pulpit, it just reminds her of God because that's the last thing she ever thought that I would be doing. And so it just shows, you know, and I appreciate that. It just shows God in in my life. I was over at a friend's house. I think we went out to dinner, and this was a friend, a husband and wife that I had gone to high school with. And the guy, the man I used to party with, and I knew the girl not real well, but I knew her in high school. And they're the ones, they brought my wife to Calvary Chapel for the first time, and the Lord used them in our salvation. And they kind of faded out from the church, and it was kind of sad. They backslidden. But we were out to dinner with them, and she looked at me, and she goes, you know, Mike, whenever I doubt the existence of God, I just look at you. And I just thought that was really cool. <laughs> I didn't know if I should be insulted or not, but I wasn't, because, yeah, I, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And so you ought to hold your gifting, whatever it might be, dear that way, because it shows you the presence of God in your life. And if it can minister to somebody else, that's great. But don't get tied up in, well, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not saved, because that's false. That's wrong, and it just destroys people's faith. Either that or they're going around rattling off some language so they can be accepted into a group that's not really a language or a spiritual gift at all. It's just making noise, a clanging cymbal. Tongues is a gift that was spoken of, not spoken by, but spoken of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke of it. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. Did Jesus speak in tongues? Well, I present to you, this is my opinion, Jesus did not speak with tongues because it would be impossible because he knew all languages. He knew all. I guess he could always invent a new language, but then it would be a... uh, It wouldn't be a gift because Jesus just has the supernatural ability. But he did say that men would speak in tongues. How are tongues to be used? Tongues are to be used predominantly, as I said before, in assistance to our prayer life. I'll read it again, Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself. How does the Spirit work? He works through through people. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us which groanings which cannot be uttered. And so it's that time in my, my private prayer closet that God will give me that gift. Maybe not 
not everybody, but that gift will occur then. And then it says just with like two or three people. And it just speaks of just a small prayer group. My wife spoke, uh, told me of a lady that she was getting ready to teach and there was a couple of leaders and she taught and there was a speaking of tongues there and I don't really have a problem with that. How do you know what you're speaking? I have this quote by Chuck Smith because, you know, how do I know I'm really speaking to God? How do I know I'm not cursing God? You know, how do I know that it's not the devil who's kind of hijacked my prayer process with the speaking of tongues? Chuck Smith says, I can rest knowing that I am adequately praising God, that he receives my worship and understands it as the expression of my deepest core of my being, deeper than my intellect, deeper than my consciousness, from the deep area of the spirit. God can receive and appreciate the love and praise that I offer him. He understands that I want to see his work and his will triumph in all situations that prompt my prayers. How very peaceful, satisfying, and fulfilling it is to rest in the knowledge that God understands and interprets these unknown tongues. And I've heard Chuck speak on it, and he says, when I'm speaking in tongues, I just rely upon God knowing my heart. And he says, to the degree that I know my heart, it's at a time that I know that I am not cursing God. And so what he's doing is he's just giving perfect trust unto the Lord. And so it ought to be nothing that we partake of in the flesh, but again, just seeking the Spirit and giving the Spirit control over our will. It's also given to assist our devotional life, that which assists us in meeting Him in that realm, again, that is beyond human understanding. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Whom having seen you love, though you do not see Him, you believe and rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory we saw that it is one of these gifts that edify the speaker. Because again, the majority of it is to be done in private. Verse 4, verse four uh, chapter 14, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. It is the only gift intended to edify you personally and individually. And in this proper or particular context, that is okay. What is the improper usage of tongues? And it's important to understand. First, when an understandable word is more appropriate. And so again, if I came up here and I conducted this whole service in tongues in this unknown prayer language, you would go home confused, not knowing, well, what did Pastor Mike speak on? I don't really know. I don't have a clue what he said. I just kind of went along with it because everybody else went along with it. Or if I came up here and started speaking in Greek, Greek or Hebrew, very spiritual languages, but a waste of time if you don't understand them or if God does not give you an understanding. So again, when a known word is more appropriate, it's then that we need to speak it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 18 through 19, Paul says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because again, he's saying here, it's going to do absolutely no good. In a group setting, tongues should never be spoken when there is no interpreter present. So you're in a group setting, and God just impresses upon your heart. If you speak in a tongue and nobody interprets, then you need to be quiet. Then there should be no more of that. Now, the Bible tells us to do all things decently and in order. 
And if we believe that the person behind the pulpit has the gift of teaching and is exercising the gift of teaching, that means that person is teaching through the ability that the Holy Spirit gives him. Now, we have the same Spirit in all of us. So if that person is gifting the person at the pulpit to teach a message, why would he have that person over there stand up and start speaking in a tongue? That would make no sense. And so standing up in the middle of a service and speaking in a tongue, again, that would just be the Holy Spirit interrupting himself, and that just makes no common sense whatsoever. When no interpreter is present, Chapter 14, verse 28 of 1 Corinthians. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and and to God. Again, it's not to be done by a large group of people, a bunch of people speaking at the same time. If you get 10 people speaking at the same time and 10 people interpreting at the same time, again, what good is that? I mean, if you get more than two or three people speaking anything at the same time, you don't have a clue what they're saying. And so once again, this isn't to be spoken to the body. I mean, I've heard somebody supposedly standing up and speaking in tongues, and somebody else, and this was with pastors, somebody else standing up and saying, thus saith the Lord. Well, right then you know it's not speaking in tongues because tongues are spoken to God. It's not God speaking to a man through an interpreter to mankind. And so that would be an improper usage. And so since it does not line up with the Word of God, we took that guy outside and we stoned him. No, we didn't do that. But again, it's an improper usage of tongues, and so it needs to be identified. Now, did that make that person a bad person? No, that person made a mistake, I would say. He, stood, he thought he had an interpretation. It was an improper interpretation or means of interpretation, and he was asked to sit down. And again, it was polite. It was no damage done kind of a thing. As I said, it's not to be done in a disruptive or unorderly manner. Verse 33 of chapter 14, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And again, in 1440, let all things be done decently and in order. And again, ought not to be done, spoken to, to a fellow man, but it is something that is to glorify God. And so, again, tongues. It's just exercising of the gift of the Spirit. If you're at a place where tongues are being spoken, I guarantee you, if they're being done properly, it's going to be a beautiful thing. And there ought not to be any fear because that is a movement of the Spirit. And if you see a proper movement of the Spirit, you're going to see, well, there's just going to be edification. Now, I know it edifies self and doesn't edify one another, but there's going to be a peace about that because this is an act of God. Again, if it's been done properly. But when you see it done improperly, there's just a check in your spirit that just tells you there's something wrong with that. So, should tongues be allowed in the body of Christ today? Verse 39 of chapter 14 Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. But again, 40, let all things be done decently and order. Let it be done scripturally. And as you see these things being done scripturally, rejoice in them. Our night of praise and worship, I've said, hey, does anybody have a word from the Lord? You know, not expecting anybody to speak in tongues, but just, you know, if God had impressed anything upon their heart. And I don't mind opening up the floor, if you will, for that to happen. If somebody does something that is out of order, I'll just tell them to sit down. 
I'll just tell them, okay, you know what? That wasn't proper. You need to sit down and I'll give them the scripture and from the word of God so we know that that wasn't right. And then we'll just move on. And matter of fact, I won't even talk to that person after if he you know, does what he's told because that person just thought maybe that they had something and I kind of commend them for standing up and to, you know, to, to take that risk of themselves. But if it's not lining up with scripture, then it's not something that is going to truly edify the body of Christ. I don't believe that everybody that improperly speaks with tongues wants to do so, so everybody sees them. But I do believe that we have to do it how God has called us to do it. We had a man here today. <clears throat> Before service, I was uh, in my office and just had a little frog in my throat and just wanted to drink a coffee, and I went into the hospitality area, and the people that were running the hospitality were there, and there was a guy who was pretty big. And he was speaking of the grim reaper and what God was telling him to tell this man. And this guy was big and he was telling, you know, he was speaking loudly and forcefully and whatever. And the other, other person was answering him, but kind of looking up at him. And I looked up at him. He was probably about 6'4". Uh, maybe he wasn't that big, but he just seemed that big anyway. And I just told him, this isn't right. We started service. You need to go in there and sit down. But I, was, I kind of put that, that guy be, between. No, I didn't do that. I just told him to do it. And he said, okay. And he turned around and he left. And again, if something's out of order, God's going to protect the body of Christ. It's not mine, it's his. And as it's his, he's going to watch over us and he's going to keep us. That guy was in here this morning and the whole time I'm looking over at him thinking, what is he going to do next? He didn't do a thing. God keeps order within the body of Christ. Why? Because God wants the word of God to go out because he wants people to grow and he wants people to be saved. That's how God works. And when it's all working properly, tongues and prophesying and teaching and all of these things, again, it's just a beautiful thing. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word that guides us in all of these areas. And Father, even these areas that there's been so much confusion, there ought to be no confusion because your word just spells all this out. That if we follow your word, Lord, we do well. And Lord, I I lift up those who... Who, who, Father, maybe have stood up or have spoken and maybe even spoken out of turn. Lord, I, I do commend them. I, I commend them. I pray that they learn from it. But, Lord, just, just to take that risk of self to stand up and to expose yourself as either being of the Lord or not. Father, I pray that most of us, more of us would speak out, not to stand up and do things improperly, but, Lord, as you lead us. And so, Father, we just thank you that you are so good. We thank you for your word that covers every aspect of our lives, that you'd be glorified, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You all stand, please.